The following is a Cartoonerific Studios presentation. It's Cartoonerific. Cartoonerific. It's Cartoonerific. With your host, Brian Welcome to the podcast. This is the Cartoonerific Classic Animated Cartoon Podcast, and my name is Brian Mitchell, and I am your host. Uh, this week, uh, we're going to be talking with a gentleman. He's a very, very fine animator. He's a, a wonderful talent. He's going to be on a few moments. I just want to talk about, uh, you know, the animation industry in general. There's a tremendous amount of talents uh, that work behind the scenes. You got people that do storyboards and you have people that design uh, characters and backgrounds. You have, uh, well, layout artists, you have background artists. Uh, you have, of course, the animators. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people behind the scenes and there's a lot of great talent. We touched upon that. Uh, in last week's uh, uh, podcast with uh, Dun M. Yelp, and we we're talking about uh, some different people that worked in the business, you know, like Dick Bickenbach, who was a, a really wonderful layout artist. And uh, I think at one time he was an animator, but he ended up doing a lot of design eventually for Hanna-Barbera, but he had worked for, uh, did all those wonderful layouts for Tom and Jerry. And, um, so you don't hear too much about Dick Bickenbach uh, today, but uh, you don't hear about a lot of different people like Eric Clayworth, who was a, a really great animator at Disney uh, back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. John Sibley was another one who, uh, a great, great character animator. Hal Ambro was uh, another one. I mean, there's so many people, Virgil Ross, Ben Washam, uh, but... A lot of these people uh, you don't really hear about today, and uh, so you know we're we're going to be focusing on that a little bit more in future shows. But I guess my point is is you got workhorses behind the scene, you got really great talent that are doing wonderful scenes of animation for these feature films, and um, one of those people is our guest for today. His name is Bill Waldman. I worked with him at Sullivan Blue Studios. He's an excellent animator. He's really come a long way from when I first met him. But even then, he was a, a powerhouse because he churned out a lot of footage and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful uh, talent, wonderful gentleman. And he's going to be on with us next. So please don't go away. We'll be back after this. Cartoonerific is the place to be to celebrate hand-drawn animated cartoons. The Cartoonerific podcast features interviews with the magic makers behind your favorite animated cartoons with episodes uploaded every Friday. Or visit the Cartoonerific blog featuring articles about classic cartoon animation. At the Cartoonerific gallery, view original animation art and memorabilia from your favorite animated films and TV shows. The company store features exclusive swag from the Cartoonerific universe. And coming soon, brand new world premiere cartoons on the Cartoonerific channel. It's all here. Join the fun at www.cartoonerific.com. 
That's cartoon, E-R-I-F-I-C.com. It's cartoonerific, saving the universe one funny cartoon at a time. And now it's time for our special cartoonerific guest. Well, I'm really excited today. We have uh, somebody I worked with uh, back in the day. Geez, it must have been 100 years ago or something. Keep using 100 years ago. No, it was uh, back in the early 90s. Uh, I was working at Don Blue Studios, and this, uh, this uh, young upstart came in and uh, took over the place as the mightiest animator in the universe. Anyway, he's uh, very talented. He uh, went from Bluth. He worked at Warner Brothers and then went on to work on a bunch of Disney movies. Uh, one of the most recent was Mary Poppins Returns. He worked on some of the animation on that for Duncan Studio. And uh, he's uh, an incredible talent. Uh, I want you to welcome Bill Waldman. Bill, welcome. I'm doing well. Good. What inspired you to get into this uh, crazy business of animation? Well, um, I always drew when I was a kid. And even I just even from earliest time, I mean, I can remember even be one even before going to school. Um, I would have been like, you know, four five years old. And um, it wasn't until probably I was about 10 years old, probably. And I remember seeing kids um, with um, drawing on the edge of their tablets in school, um, making little flip books. I didn't know what they were called at the time, but I thought, hey, that's really like kind of neat. I wonder if I could like do that, but do a little more, something a little more elaborate than the stick figures they were doing. So I just started to do, I was at the time I was starting to get into watching Disney movies mm -hmm. and I thought I could just draw my Disney characters and try to recreate some of the things I was seeing in Disney movies on these little corners of these tablets and wow. just sort of try to make it you know, in my mind, try to remember what I saw, you know, in the movie and trying to, you know, recreate something. If I saw it, like, you know, on the wonderful world of Disney on Sunday nights, they would show clips of Disney movies. Um, right. Yeah. And that's so what, that's what, do you remember, do you remember the first one you attempted on a flipbook form? You didn't try to do Fantasia, like Night, night no. on Bald Mountain in a flipbook form? No, no, no that elaborate no oh, okay no honestly i wouldn't remember it was so long ago and i like i say it was so obscure um um but yeah um i think around that time around 10 years old i saw the reissue of mary poppins right um in the theater for the first time was and, that was um, that in 74 73 oh okay yeah 73 like summer of 73 that's the first time I saw Mary Poppins was in 1973. And it was on a double bill here with Lady and the Tramp. Oh, wow. Yeah. Boy, Which I'd never seen a, before. Yeah. That's quite a show because uh, Mary Poppins is a long movie. And that with another movie, that's, that's a, you got your money's worth. I, I got my money's <laughs> worth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so. Yeah. I mean, it was like, and I, I, I wasn't. I went into the theater not expecting much. Which for some reason, my older sister had seen it somehow before, and I, she's, I don't know if she saw it on the. She must have saw it on the first release. Um, but she would have been really young. She would have been like four or five. I don't know. But I, I think. I think they kept those movies in release for longer than you know, just a few months back then. I think if it was successful, you could see a, a movie maybe a year later or maybe even longer after. 
the release of it. Oh, sure. Do it, you know? Well, depending on when it's released, because I think Jungle Book yeah. was released in the summer of 67, because I remember seeing it in the summer of 67. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if it stayed around for a while, but I'm sure Mary Poppins, because I think it was the top box office grocer that year, wasn't it? Blew out, blew out the box office around forty-five. I say forty-five million bucks it made, which was Mary, a lot of Mary money. Poppins? Back then. Yes, yeah. Mary Poppins was the number one movie that year. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I'd have to look up the release date on it to to be accurate. I'm sure I could. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, you know, I saw that when for the the reissue. First time I saw it was the reissue in '73, and I went in not expecting much. Because my, I remember my sister was telling me, "Oh, it's not all that, not that good. There's all this magic in it." and you know, she sort of like downplayed it a little bit. So I went in not expecting much. And I was just, I was completely blown away. Yeah. And, and you know, 10 years old, that's a great age to see that movie, which is like a, almost the perfect age to see that movie. You're old enough to really appreciate it, but you're still young enough to really have that, that kid-like uh, wonder and that kid-like excitement about that kind of a story and that, that kind of a movie. Um so I just was like, wow, I got to see everything with the name Walt Disney on it after this. I mean, I think I'd seen a few like Disney movies before that, but you know, it was just a very vague memories, like big memories maybe of seeing Snow White um, in the theater or like at a Christmas uh, release, maybe Jungle Book too. I think I do have a vague memory of seeing Jungle Book when I was really young. Right. And uh, yeah, there was this, there was this, <laughs> it's, it was like, it wasn't like I was really into animation that young. It was, what it was, was there was a Hallmark card store in downtown Williamsport where I grew up mm-hmm. and they had this place decorated like to the hilt. It was just unbelievable decorations from ceiling to floor. And it looked like a jungle to me. So this movie comes out, the jungle book. And I was like, bugging my mom, oh my gosh, take me to see this movie. Take me to see this movie. Mm-hmm. Not knowing really what it was, just the title. Right. <laughs> I was like, I wanted so I remember my mom taking me a very vague memory of seeing it. Like I say, I would, I was probably four or five. I mean, I was really young um, when that came out. But you saw it in the seventies, right? Did you see it in the seventies or the sixties? I, I, I saw it on the reissue. Then when I was like 15, when it was right. know, the reissue was like 70 or something like that. Yeah. And I, I, that's what I really remember and appreciate it. Like I say, the, uh, the first thing when I was really young, I, they were very, very sketchy memory of it. Right. Um, but Mary Poppins was really the one where it started me on this kind of Disney kick of looking at all the Disney movies and just being really inspired with, and I was always watching the newspaper for the next release to come out and the re or I should say the reissue, you know, it's all almost all the features, you know, during that period, during the seventies, like, you know, Bambi, uh, Pinocchio, Snow White, um, right. Cinderella, Dumbo. I mean, yes, all those in the, I, I think I think everyone I saw in the theater before it got they went to the video video release of it. So I saw every one of my first experiences of seeing those movies was a theatrical thing, which was great. I was oh really yeah grateful for that. I I, um, I grew up in the '60s, so uh, during that time we would go to Radio City Music Hall and they would have the new releases of stuff, and so I'd see all the live action Disney movies. Um, and of course, the wonderful world of Disney, or wonderful world of color. That's what it was back then, before Disney passed away. And um, mm-hmm. and so during that time, I saw a lot of Disney movies. I saw Jungle Book on its first release, and uh, and when I saw the Jungle Book, I was like looking at it, like, "Wow, I can't believe these characters are." And I knew they were drawn, but they were, you know, 
they were animating moving like real people. And uh, I was amazed by that. And I was like five. I was five years old when I saw it. So, um, but my we saw a lot of Disney Disney pictures, The Love Bug and uh, Blackbeard's Ghost and, you know, even uh, stuff that was in, in drive-ins because they had drive-ins here. And I remember seeing the Shaggy Dog and <laughs> Shaggy Dog and Absent-Minded Professor. So I grew up with a heavy diet of not only Warner Brothers cartoons and, and famous studio cartoons and, and Fleischer and all that other stuff, but heavy Disney. And really, yeah. really inspired me. So, you know, I, yeah. I think there's a, a certain age. I, the second time I saw The Jungle Book in the 70s was like another, once I saw it again, I was like, it kind of reinforced the decision to want to, actually go into the medium. And I think Jungle Book is an amazing movie because it's on a lot of people's lists as, you know, that that's the movie that inspired me to get into animation. Mm -hmm. I hear it over and over and over again. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I think, you know, even before I'd seen the, you know, seen it again when I was older and could really appreciate it and remember it. Um, I had the, um, my mom got me the soundtrack album so i i was familiar with the songs the story so by the time i saw the movie the actual movie i was really like oh my gosh this is this is really amazing yeah um but i remember it, I, I think it was when i saw the rescuers on the first release mm-hmm. was really the point of where like and i know that some people don't think the rescuers is that great of a movie some people think that's ah, kind of mediocre or whatever i to me it's one of the, to me i think it's one of the best ones they did during that kind of whole period between like the two fairy tales i call it between sleeping beauty and little mermaid yeah i, mean, I think if you know if I, if I had to pick my three top films in that whole era that whole 30 year period mm-hmm. i would pick uh 101 dalmatians jungle book and the rescuers yeah to me those are the most successful movies in terms of just how it made you feel um artistry um just you know just an experience of liking the movie um yeah i have to agree with you Uh, yeah no i'm sorry i i have to agree with you on the rescuers because uh when i saw the rescuers it had a lot of heart to it yeah and like robin robin hood didn't you know and uh so kind of cold aristocats was like that too it didn't really have a lot of you know it was pretend pretend heart you know but Jungle Book really pulled at you. I think Rescuers had that quality too, you know. And and I I do agree with the other people that go that uh, it's not the greatest story, you know. But it's uh, you know sometimes it doesn't have to be. Sometimes it uh, if it has the right elements in it, it can really pull it through. And it uh, and I think uh, Rescuers affected me too, you know, because I was sixteen when I saw it, and. Um, right. And uh, actually, maybe even I, I think it was 15 when I saw it. And that's uh, right after that, I saw the movie. I started sending drawings to Disney. And that was, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it was after seeing that movie that I was, I was like, I just said to myself, I have got to become a Disney animator. I don't know how to make this happen. I'm not really sure what the process is. I don't know how to get, get from here, from where I'm at to there. But mm-hmm. I need to pursue this. I need to like sort of really um, um, make an earnest effort to get there. Um, so how'd you how'd you, you know, do that? How'd you do that to? Um, how did I do that? 
<laughs> well, did you get some books on it or did you write somebody or? Yeah, no, I, um, I remember, um, there was a stationary store in downtown Burbank. Um, and they had that Preston Blair book of how to animate cartoons. I remember going there cause that's where I would buy my thick tablets where I would do my LA animation flip books on. Right. And then I remember going to the book section and seeing this book by Preston Blair. And I thought, Oh my, this is exactly what I want. And I remember even in the back page, they had how to build a animation light stand table where right. you could draw on it. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is perfect. So of course I asked my, my dad to buy it for me. And, um, and it was, it was a cheap book. So that was not a problem. Right. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was, it was that. And then, um, I remember I had, I was in ninth grade and I asked my, Oh, my, my art teacher was noticing me making these little flip books and making, trying to recreate these little Disney, um, things on it. And he says, Hey, you know, we have a camera here in the, in the school district that can take one frame of movie film at a time. So he said, I think we can hook this up on a tripod and shoot your, just zoom in close and, and shoot your little animation tablets. And we can actually have a super eight millimeter movie. Wow. I was like, Oh wow. I just couldn't believe that they was, this was happening. I was like, it was like, you mean I can actually make a movie, you know? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> of course it was just very crude and very, um, <laughs> very amateur, of course. Right. Um, yeah, it was like, you know, it was, it was, we, that's what I did and, uh, showed the class and it kind of made it a little bit of a big splash. And, uh, then I was like, well, I got to high school, started high school the next year. And I was like, well, I, I felt like I wanted to take it a little bit of a step further mm-hmm. and actually, you know, do cells, do hand painted cells on acetate. And, um, you know, actually try to create something a little more complex and with sound. Um, and how'd that so work out? Did. How did that um, work out? I mean, I think it worked. Well, I mean, it was successful in the sense that it, um, you know, I showed it as my portfolio to get into CalArts um, here in California. And I got accepted, which I was actually kind of shocked that you know, they, they, they did, but I think what it was, was they were probably impressed that I took on such a, a daunting task and something that, that ambitious, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't, even if the animation wasn't that great in a lot of places and some places just almost embarrassing <laughs> how bad it was, but, um, yeah, but I'm sure, I'm sure at the time you were just like, wow, you know, or you, yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, I didn't even have a pig, uh, peg hole punch to register my drawings for the punch holes. So I was lining the drawings up with little markers when I would shoot it. And even when I would draw with it, I just had little markers to try to get for registration. Just, and again, so I got wobbly kind of stuff happening again. Um, but like I say, I, I just didn't have the, the equipment or the really the, the training or know-how to really do it the right way. So I was just trying to improvise. Right. Kept, you know, I was just like, the important thing is just make the movie. That was my thing. Just okay. Just just make the movie. Get just it do done. it. Do it the best way you know how. Right. Yeah. Right. And I just I learned so much through that process. That is just. I mean, people ask me like, "Well, how do you learn this?" Well, the best way to learn it is by doing it. And I think if you um, you learn so much just with the process of of going through that and making 
the movie. Just things come up that you problems you got to solve and hurdles you got to cross. And um, so uh, I think that that was uh, I think that was the best the best lesson the best experience from that is, is the learning aspect. Yeah, you'd be surprised how many people are, are like that um, that are in the business that just. They didn't have the facility to do it, but they wanted to do it so much they found a way of doing it. You know, I, I bought a Super 8. Well, actually, my aunt bought me a Super 8 camera uh, with single frame. And I don't even think she knew that it had single frame uh, capability. But but I got it. And uh, in order to make that thing work, I needed a frame release, which was a, a cable that you attached to it. And basically, you yes. had a little exactly. trigger to it. And... Uh, it wouldn't do it by itself. You had to have that attachment. And once you had that attachment, you could do the single frame. So uh, that's what I did. And I, I ended up, my we bought a, uh, uh, my father made a stand out of a um, an enlarger, which is basically, uh, it's one of those devices they had in classrooms where they put a piece of paper down onto a, um, onto a surface and then there was a reflector at the top with a light bulb that basically took that image and projected it onto a screen. And so he just took the the base of that, mounted it onto a table, and then we had a register, you know, where the center point was, and then put a, a disc down with with pegs. And then that became the animation stand. It was actually pretty sturdy, you know? I mean, if we we could have retrofitted a bunch of these things and probably just sold them. Because you know, to all the all the students in the world that wanted a uh, animation stand, because there was really no inexpensive Super Eight camera stand uh, for shooting animation. I'm right. sorry, I'm getting off the beaten path here. I think, but um, so when you started doing that, uh, and okay, so Cal Arts was interested. What ha- what happened after that? Did you did you consider going? I mean, yes, I. Um, that's kind of. A- um, an, an interesting uh, little story. Um, I, I I decided to accept it, and I came out, and I was a little put off by the atmosphere, I guess, at the school. And I think I emotionally, I probably really wasn't ready to be that far away from um, home for the first time and be in an environment that was pretty different from what I was used to and growing up in. Um, I don't want to get into too much detail there. I I know what you're talking Um, about. I know what you're talking about. And uh, let's say it was uh, extremely liberal over there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We'll just say that. And and, and very artsy. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Pretty, pretty, Pretty different from the place i grew up and the atmosphere i was everything i was used to basically yeah i've heard i've heard that i've heard that from a lot of different people i went went through i was at orientation and i just felt like you know i just don't know if this is for me i don't know if i can function here i think it's just i don't think it's a good fit for, Mm -hmm. for my temperament my personality right so i ended up leaving and um basically uh, came back home and I tried to get into my second choice, which was Edinburgh. 
University of Pennsylvania, right. then Edinburgh State College up in Northwestern Pennsylvania, who had an animate, they had an animation program there. Um, and they had already started the semester. Um, they were uh, several weeks into it. And so they felt like it would just be better for me. To, they said, yeah, you can, you can, you know, start here. We'd love to have you, but we think we should, you should wait until the winter semester, um, January to start rather than try to come in a few weeks behind everybody else. It'd just be easier for you to sort of, um, you know, start that way. So that's what I did. I just sort of, uh, you know, waited until January and I started at Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. Went there. Oh, pretty cool. My college so how long did you go there for, you went there for, did you do a two year or four year program? No, I was actually in the four year program, but I think I actually ended up going for five. Um, oh, well, wow. <laughs> I was, I took on a very ambitious project again. Um, this time it was a 23 minute animated film, which I guess you could say that's a special length. That's like a half hour, you know, special length. Right. Um, never made it to color. It just only made it to pencil test stage. And you, you showed, uh, you showed me some of it and it was pretty impressive. I thought. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not happy with the story. I wasn't really happy with the story back then. I'm still, I'm even more unhappy with the story today. Um, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with some of the animation I did even, you know, back then I was happy that, um, with, I think some of the animation is successful in it. Um, what, what was and the name again? I'm sorry. What was the name of it? It was, uh, the name of it is fish hooked. And um, yeah, I, I remember seeing, I, it, you did all the, you did every single frame of that film, right? You didn't have any help. And yes. I had no help. I did every single scene and I did it all, all on one level, which, you know, back then I didn't know that that was, you know, people split stuff up on, on different levels. I, you know, <laughs> I just okay. Figured, okay, you just do the drawing and everybody that's in the drawing, you put on the same piece of paper, you know? Right. Um, so, um, just, just in case yeah. people don't know out there when, when, uh, when you're shooting pencil animation, you generally put the background down underneath on the paper. You put it on a light board, then you put the right. uh, the character on top of it, almost like a almost like it's a cell, and the cell kind of blocks out part of that background, and it, it seems to be walking in front of it. So um, Bill ended up well, doing no, I, all I, the back all the background work on these things, which. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I did the background separate on a separate level, but yeah. the characters, if there was like multiple like crowd scenes, I did all the people in the crowd on, on one level rather than split up the characters. Wow. So that's what a lot of people were surprised at when they saw it. I was like, well, isn't that what everybody does? I mean, I didn't know. <laughs> uh, again, that was a lot of, you know, where I went to school, I mean, the, the man who was in charge of the um, animation program was not an animator. He was a documentary filmmaker. So mm -hmm. he knew a lot about sound and a lot about editing and a lot about uh, how to put a film together. Right. Um, he didn't know a lot about animation. I mean, he knew, he knew enough to be able to teach the courses, but he was not an animator himself. Right. So a lot of the stuff I was still learning from books. I mean, the Frank and Ollie book came out, the illusion of life came out just right at the time I was starting school. 80, um, was that 81? Was that 1981? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, it came out, I think, 
in yeah that fall of 81 i think and that's when i bought it or maybe summer of 81 right and um then that was the semester i sat out and started them in uh, january of 82 but all during that fall i was like going through that book like devouring it like you know like oh, yeah. hey how do you do this this perfect thing of like this i want to be a disney animator so this is the book that's really going to help me get me there i think that even more than the press and blair book i thought this is just this is perfect yeah Oh, they had everything in there. Examples yeah. of animation, you know, the styles, uh, the different styles and how to approach the yeah. characters. And yeah, it's an amazing piece of work. I, I did the same thing. I got, I think I read it in a day, you know, and then yeah. I keep going back to it to like sections. It's perfect. Perfect. Especially yeah. if, you, if you want to be a Disney animator or, you know, you want to work in uh, feature animation, that, that was the thing to go to. Yeah. So, yeah. so you you did you did your five years over there and then what happened what happened after you got your your film done did you when you showed that film was that the final thing that was your project for yeah the fifth year? yeah uh, I mean the original intention was to finish it in color but as it became apparent the last year it was like I was in, I was going to need more time to even finish the pencil test let alone the color so um, you know even though it was a requirement to have a finished film, he made the exception for me and he said, okay, well, let's, you, you know, graduate with a pencil test basically. Mm -hmm. um, and the, that, the thought of trying to finish that in color was just so daunting that just, oh my gosh. I mean, if I'd done a half a length of, a, of that film, that would have still been a, a long film. Um, it probably could have been doable that I could have maybe done it in color, but yeah, there's no way with that length. There's just no way. Right. Um, when I'm one person, I mean, so, um, so yeah, so I then had big showing at the, uh, at the uh, film uh, area um, where all the classes were, and a lot of my friends showed up, and um, yeah, I got so much support from all my friends all the way through the years of working on that, and people always ask me like, "How's it going?" And well, we can't wait to see it when it's done, and it just it's so supportive. Um, right. I was uh, even in a fraternity, and even my fraternity brothers were supportive of it, and really, really were. Um, you know, encouraging and, and kind of cheering me on with that. And most of them showed up too to the, uh, to the final showing in you know, that last semester I was there. Right. So, yeah. Well, that must've been really cool to, to screen it. Did yes. you get, get a lot of applause at the end or? Yes. Cool. How many yes. people, do you remember how many people were there at the final screening? Oh gosh. I'd say we probably had maybe 30 to 40, maybe we had, we had a good size crowd. That's a good, um, good, decent sized crowd to watch it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. There was the, the air, the film, um, I think it's called the film lab or the, I don't know what you'd call it. The film where the film classes are, it's not that big of an area. Right. So, I mean, they had all the chairs packed in there where they could, um, cause that was a, where the projection was and that was where the screen was. And so we had to have it. That was kind of like where we had to have it. So, right. So that was now part of your, was that your entire portfolio or did you have a portfolio of drawings and, and the yeah. film or? Yeah. That was the main part of the portfolio. I think it ended up being mostly the portfolio when I went around getting for jobs. Cause I mean, even though I had drawings of like, you know, life drawings and uh, landscape drawings in my portfolio or whatever else I can't remember what else I had in there. Um, it seems like most of the places where I'm supplying just wanted to see the real. They just wanted to see the animation. So since it was such a long film, we cut it down and just picked, you know, the best scenes. Right. And just 
and we you know said this isn't going to make a lot of sense because this is cut out, but we cut it down, I think, to maybe less than 10 minutes. Yeah. Because we, and we, that's even probably too long, but we thought they're never going to watch a 23 minute film. So, you know, they may sit for a 10 minute. Right. Right. So um, that's pretty much what I I shopped around, and that's where um, I got pretty much my first three jobs. Wow. So the first job you went to, you you sent your reel, and uh, they took a look at it. And what what did they say? What what was that? Um, that was at a small commercial studio in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. um, really small outfit, and it was called Kensington Falls Animation. Um, I was there for maybe eight nine months, and then then I went to Bages Jones in Minneapolis, a little bit of a larger commercial studio. They did. Um, they did a lot of educational films, right? I think so. Yeah. I think so. A lot of that probably was done before I got there, but I think they were kind of known for some of that. And right. uh, they were mostly. It was pretty much just commercials when I was there. I was there a little more than two years. Right. Um, so. And then um, after that, you went to to Don Bluth. So how did that all come about? Because you were working at Pages um, yeah. Jones, and then. Uh, and then uh, and, they, they sent you a letter and they just said, hey, uh, we heard about you and you're hired. No, no. What happened was <laughs> my friend. <laughs> it never, wor- first, it uh, never, never works like that until you become known. No. And then that's when you actually get the phone call. But yeah, go ahead. No, no, we got to I have to hear this. I think I know the um, story, but this is for yeah, everybody else. Was- this is for everybody else. Our. All ten people that are listening to this podcast are they're they're waiting they're waiting for this tidbit of information. Yes. Okay. So, um, so I think my it was probably my first couple weeks there. They put me in an office with um, Bruce Smith, really talented animator. Yes. Was like even back then, even back in 1987, he was like considered like the top of his game. Yeah. Basically. Um. And I think it was just because we were the two new guys there and we were just, the, the office that was available was large. So there was enough for rough room for two people in it. Yeah. Most of the offices were one, one person. So anyway, we, you know, we got to know each other. We're talking or whatever. And um, Bruce was going to come on full time there because he liked it there. Right. But workflow kind of dried up a little bit and Bruce was getting offers back in LA here. And he was like, what should I do? And they said, Hey, if you got work offers in LA, we probably should let you take those because we're not sure how long we can keep you here. Cause they were, they were paying him what a good salary, which is what he's worth, of course. Um, so he left. Right. And we didn't have any contact after that, but he remembered me somehow. And about two years later, a little more than two years later, I had been thinking about leaving and I was actually, you know, uh, exploring other possibilities at the time. And out of the blue, Bruce calls me at work and he says, Hey, this is Bruce. Um, I'm working now for Don Bluth and they're looking for people. And I think you should submit your portfolio. And I says, Ah, you know, Bruce, I, you know, I submitted my stuff to Disney last year. This would have been 88 or 87. I can't remember now. And I said, They turned me down. And I said, I figured Bluth standards were probably just as high as Disney's. I don't know that I would get in. He says, no, 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 I think you do well. He says, I, you know, let me talk to John, John Pomeroy. And uh, John trusts me on this. And I think that, you know, um, I think you'll do well. And I says, okay. 
So I submitted, you know, pretty much the same reel because that's all I had with my, you know, animation from my student film from Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. And um, got a call a few weeks later saying that, um, well, no, I found out that's another interesting story. Don Bluth was supposed to be doing a tour, um, promotional tour for All Those Who Go to Heaven. And he was going to be at the mall in downtown Minneapolis. Wow. And I knew that Don, yeah, I knew that Don um, was working in Ireland and John Pomeroy was working in, in L.A. here. So he was heading up the studio in L.A. So I figured, well, John's the one who's going to know about my work. Don won't know it, but mm -hmm. I'll just I want to go meet Don Blue. So I'll go down to down the mall downtown there with some of the friends from my work who didn't know I was looking for another job. <laughs> and even including including the produce the production mm -hmm. manager or producer i think and we go there and all of a sudden these people it was all of a sudden these people are like in front of a table and it was almost this weird kind of almost like a hollywood moment these people just part like the red sea and there instead of don bluth is john pomeroy and a few of the people were from work were there hey we've been talking we've been talking to john about you bill and and then john's like Oh, you're Bill Waldman. Hey, look, I got a job for you. And I'm like, whoa, what the? And in front of these people, other people who didn't know I was looking for a work, and I, they didn't know I was like, hey, you're, you're thinking of leaving? Like, what, what's going on here? You know? So it was like, it was a kind of a weird thing, but it was a nice way to find out. Right. That told by John Palmer himself that, you know, they wanted, he had a job for me and he wanted me to, to come there. Wow. That's, that's pretty wild. You're, you're expecting yeah. Don to get John. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> wow. Well, so I started, that was like right before Thanksgiving, I think, if I remember right, it was like mid to late November when that happened. And so yeah. they said, well, you know, since it's right before the holidays, you know, we probably should have you start right after the holidays rather than, you know, you know, you might probably spend the holidays with your family and, uh, and we'll get this going after. So that's what I did. I started um, in January of 1990, right, like right after the new year. It was you know, pretty much. Yeah. Wow. That, that That's amazing. That's really, yeah, it, no, you hear, you hear all these stories, you know, you hear all these stories, how people got into the business and they're all just, they're all over the place, you know, but they're, uh, yeah. but each one is kind of like, uh, has a little bit of magic to it, you know, and it sounds like you were touched by magic right then and there, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Hollywood came a court and so how was the yeah. move like to California when you went to Bluth that first day when they brought you in and I remember my first day I got there very early because I was really nervous and I don't think anybody had been was there yet I mean I probably was one of the first people in, in the building it was the building was almost empty and I remember just sort of like waiting for like someone to give me some instruction like where do I sit or where do I you know what do I do here do I got to fill out papers or what I remember just walking around and looking at the walls where they had some of the model sheets up at the time, they were finishing up Rockadoodle, right? And I, um, I just kept saying to myself, "I can't believe I'm here. Yeah. I can't believe I'm here." I right. just kept saying that to myself, "I just can't <laughs> believe I'm here." Right. Um, so it was just a really, it was a, again a surreal kind of almost strange moment, um, but it was good. Um, they were they uh, seemed to like my work. Uh, early, even early on, even though I felt like I was, was really like, because at Bages Jones, I was just doing cleanup and in between, 
Right. I was not, I was not in Pittsburgh. I was actually animating. So it had been a little more than two years since I had animated. Right. And I was just like, felt like I was really rusty at the beginning. Oh my gosh, can I still do this? And, you know, you know, worried. but you know, it's like animation is kind of like riding a bike. If you haven't ridden in a while, it might be a little shaky at first. You ride it for a little bit and you, you sort of get the hang of it again. You remember, you know, you the memory yeah. comes back. Again. Yeah, all the all the little bits and pieces, all the little tricks come back to you and stuff. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get into the zone, you yes. know, which is that once again another magical place when it's just you and the drawing board and you're just doing your thing, you know. Yes. Um. Yeah, I think uh, the first time I went out to LA when I was hired out in LA. And it was uh, going from New York to Los Angeles. It was culture shock for me, and yeah. the and it was the same thing. Can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm doing this, you know. And uh, <clears throat> but then the the fear sets in, like, am I going to be able to cut this? You know, am I gonna am I gonna last more than a day? Am I gonna last more than a week? Are they going to find out I'm a fraud? Yeah. You know, all this stuff goes through your head, and you know. And in reality, you're once you're there, you're ready. If they're ready to take a chance on you, you're ready. So, mm-hmm. when you came, when you came into Bluth, did did they put you in my office? Because we were sharing, we shared an office. You weren't, we weren't yes. working together right away, were we? Because um, no, I, I was in a cubicle for a while. I remember right um, with some of the other um, people that were doing in betweens or cleanup and stuff like that, and then. Um, I can't remember at what point they moved me into the office. I think what it was, was I think if I remember right, Ken Duncan had that office. And That's, when he left, he left a month or so, maybe a few weeks after I started there and went to Disney. Right. And I think when that office became available, that's when they moved me in and they probably moved you in at the same time. Yeah. I can't remember. It was probably a few weeks or maybe a month after I'd started that I went into that office. Yeah. Because I yeah. think I think it was the next office over. I don't know if that was such a good move for me to do that, but I did it. But whatever. It was, but it was fun because we we're right next to John Pomeroy's office. You know, right. So, uh, did you enjoy working at Bluth? You did, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I did quite a bit. I, um, and there were there were some tough moments in there, but overall, it, it was a really good experience. Yeah. Um, I, um, you were like a footage monster over there. You were producing a lot of footage, I recall. Um, do you remember what your average was per week? I think you were. I, I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, I was horrible. I was horrible over there. I did. Uh, I was doing like not even three feet a week, and then I eventually I got up the footage to a certain point where I think it was up to maybe five or seven feet a week, but. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I was totally intimidated. I didn't tell people that, but I was really intimidated because there was so much great talent around us. And then you came yes. into the office and you, I just remember you burning through. I mean, you, they would give you long stuff to do. You get these, uh, long scenes and you would somehow get these things approved. And, uh, and I thought, you know, I, I thought that was, uh, you know, fantastic. I don't know if it was your just stick-to-itiveness or your, your planning or whatever you were doing there. I, I don't know. It was, uh, yeah, I just remember you getting the stuff uh, done and getting on to the next thing. Yeah, I, I do remember at one point, I mean, I think you had to be, so when you're talking about footage, I remember you had to be at least at five feet to be given the title of animator, five feet a week. 
Right. And I think that's what it was. I think at one point I did hit that within like a, a month or so. Right. Um, months of me being there. I can't remember what the, the date was, but I remember John Palmer coming in and telling me, or maybe I went into his office and he told me that, you know, they were, I was officially beginning the title and without a raise, which was, that was good too, because, um, you know, back then I wasn't making that much, but I was making enough to be able to, you know, to live here. So that was, um, that was good. Right. That was one of my big concerns of moving here. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what, if I'm, what they're paying me is going to be able to, you know, can I live there? Because if you hear all this stuff, if you don't live in California, you hear all this, oh, it's so expensive to live there. Oh my gosh, this and this and that. And you got to be making a ton of money to be able just to make it to survive there. Right. So that was one of my big fears. And luckily I was able to, because I was asking people, what do you make and what are, what do apartments go for? And, you know, I, I was trying to, because that was my, my big worries, but luckily that all worked out. Yeah. What, when you were working, so when you came in, you were on, you were on, uh, not Rockadoodle. You didn't work on a Rockadoodle, did you? You know, I think, I think the first week or so I did some in-betweens for somebody because they didn't have anything ready for me to actually, um, animate. So I did some in-betweens. Then it was like, then they, you did that fantastic world of Hanna-Barbera, uh, for the ride for Universal Studios in Florida. That's right. And uh, that was, that was the first thing I worked on before because they were having problems getting well troll in central park which would have eventually was called but it was called something else i think before that can't remember now uh, it had to do with was called that. it had to do with monkeys there were monkeys right there was a the monkey was the main character but i, I don't remember it, it might have been the same title but it was a, it was the story was very much different right and so they were retooling all of that and so in the meantime they gave us that project to work on for the universal studios and um, that was the first thing I did there until the, until the feature was ready. Uh, what do you remember? What characters you worked on? I remember the uh, there was a fireman chase in that movie. I think it was uh, in the oh, Flint- one. Yeah, it was the Flintstoneville or whatever oh. they call it. That uh, yeah, I think you worked on a yeah. ton of stuff from that section, didn't you? The uh, I well, I remember doing um, some stuff of Dastardly Muttley and Elroy. In the in the spaceship, I th- going I th- away and the Jetsons, the Jetsons section. Yeah, I think a lot of people got that. Yeah, yeah, nothing in the Scooby Doo section. I did some stuff in the um, the Flintstone section. I remember it was the um, when Fred Flintstone pulls the alarm, and then it's that bird, and it screeches, and that's the alarm that goes off to tell everybody it's time to go home for work. All right. So I did the bird. Um, I can't remember. It's in, boy, that was so long ago. I had to, I have to go back and try to look at some of this. I still have my VHS tape of my my pencil test. Yeah, I was talking to Matt Bates, and Matt was talking about animating uh, Muttley and Dick Dastardly and uh, Elroy. And I guess every, because yes. they're through the whole ride, I guess everybody yes. got a chunk of that to do. Yeah, and uh, it all looks like it's from one hand, which is uh, interesting because I've I've watched yeah. it recently, and You'd never think that a bunch of different animators were doing sections on that, you know? Yeah. Well, I remember Linda Miller and Larry Leaker did the layouts, the animation layouts for that character layout. And uh, they did such a great job. Those drawings were just so nice to work from. Right. So if you use that as your, as your map to start a, your blueprint to start a go from, mm-hmm. usually ended up okay. And so I think that's what held it together, helped yeah. made it unified. Right. All their drawings and on. So. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was an amazing achievement, I think. Um, yeah. 
you know, time. I, I mean, that's think about it. Yeah. Do you have any questions or comments about the podcast? Please email Brian at cartoonerific.com. Your email may be featured in one of our future shows. Well, that's it for today. Uh, Bill will be back next week for part two of the interview. It's a two-parter, so it will conclude uh, next week. Uh, And he'll be talking about his uh, career at Disney. So that's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, If you really like what you're listening to, please tell a friend or tell a family member or tell the neighbor's dog or cat or groundhog, whatever, whatever's in the area, you know, just let them know that the cartoonerific podcast is here and we have a bunch of episodes and we have a bunch more coming on. So, uh, you know, help us grow. And that's the highest form of compliment that you can give us is letting people know about us and, and saying nice things. So coming up, in the next couple of weeks, we have Mr. Willie Ito. Willie uh, was an animation artist back in the 50s. He became a layout artist, and uh, he worked at Warner Brothers. Uh, he helped uh, design the, uh, the graphic image of uh, Beanie and Cecil uh, back when they were being uh, transferred over from puppets to animation. Uh, so he's instrumental in that, and then he... Ended up in Hanna-Barbera doing a lot of our favorite cartoons over there. So he'll be coming up. We have uh, Debbie Weiss. She is the curator and owner of the wonderful World of Animation Art Gallery in California. Uh, She will be on. We'll be talking about animation art collecting. And another person we're going to have on is Mr. Mark Arnold. Mark is uh, uh, is an expert on the DePatty Freeling cartoons. He wrote a book about them. We're going to talk about that. So we have all that lined up and much, much more in uh, the coming weeks. So please stick around. Anyway, I want everybody to have a great day. I want you to have a terrific week, and we hope to see you again real soon. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Cartoonerific Studios presentation. The Cartoonerific Podcast is copyright 2024 by Cartoonerific Studios Incorporated. All rights reserved.